Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Sift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Arts and they might have what you're looking for in a creative degree. If you're keen to learn more, you can have a look at murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to find out what they have on offer. That was murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts, or you can just search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. Hello and welcome to Pixel Sift, the show dedicated to indie games from Australia, around Australia and the world. My name is Fiona and we're back again for the first time in 2020. Joining me tonight is my co-host, co-host Gianni. How are you going today? I am going super well. 2020 feels like an extremely sci-fi year. It does. So I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here I, for it. I'm excited for just all the round numbers this year. Yep. And joining us this week are Michael Wentworth-Bell and Nick Atcherito from Digital Load in Melbourne. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us. It's a great honour and glad to be on the first show of the year. Yeah, thanks very much. So they're both here to talk about their game, Aspire One VR Operative. But before we get to that, Gianni, what are we also taking a look at? Yeah, we're going to have a look at the, uh, I guess, a crowdfunding campaign, a bit of a social campaign that a number of game developers around the world have gotten on board with. It's called Game Devs for Fireys. It's been trending on Twitter. It's an effort to raise money for those Australian bushfires you probably would be hearing about on the news wherever you are. Um, And the hashtag has actually come under fire um, recently. So there's been a little bit of criticism towards this campaign. So we talk about what the campaign is trying to achieve and some of the controversy that's risen because of it. All right, let's get into it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Now, as Australia deals with some of its worst fires in its history, the local game development industry has banded together and they've made a campaign called Game Devs for Fireys. Developers from around the world, but most of them, Australian indies, are auctioning off signed games some of their original art, or maybe their expertise. And their proceeds are being donated to support Australian firefighters and communities around the country that have been affected by fire. Now, Mariam Dijkavalti, uh, who works in communications for the International Body of Game Workers Unite, recently posted a video on her personal YouTube channel and a personal Twitter account. And she's kind of criticised the efforts, saying there was a strong link, in her opinion, between the games industry and a negative impact caused by the games industry on climate change. Let's have a listen to a little bit of what Mariam had to say. 
industry when I see an issue, I'll call it out. And today my eye was caught by the hashtag GameStepsForFires. So starting today, games professionals will be offering signed games, one-off experiences, services, and more via the hashtag with the hope that people will bid and the funds received will be directed to relief programs for Australian bushfires. The idea was inspired by hashtag AuthorsForFires. What these games devs failed to consider, however, is that unlike the literature industry, the games industry creates a direct and devastating effect on climate change, so our kind donations are just not good enough. If you are in the games industry and actually wish to take a stance against the underlying issues resulting in the fires, droughts, and floods caused by the climate emergency, I suggest thinking of engaging in direct action for change rather than self-serving Twitter exercises. So her original video was posted on the 15th of January, um, which is uh, yesterday as we record this, and we're going to link the full version of that in the show note of this episode but initially uh nick and mike i'm really interested what are your reactions to comments like that when you see uh, uh someone come out and sort of criticize a, a campaign that is hoping to raise money for australian bushfires yeah look I, I, you know i watched the video yesterday when it came out um you guys shared it with me and uh i was i was able to watch that last night and look i'm not an expert in climate change. I'm not an expert in environmental studies. There's quite a lot of information in a short period of time in that video that was sort of put out there, and I couldn't confirm or deny or, or, or you know, or, or, or know what, what's fact and what's not, to be honest. But I suppose, by and large, I think the the efforts that are trying to be, you know, achieved by Indies is to just try and help the cause. I mean, you know, as, as Aussies living here, it's pretty devastating what's been happening in their communities. Uh, you know, there are homes lost, lives lost. There's lots going on. So. I think anything that we can do as small studios and indies is is a good thing. And so, you know, I don't want to criticise or have an opinion one way or another about climate change or, or, or the environmental impacts of the gaming industry. But I think the real ish, issue in front of us is just what's going on and the devastating impact of the fires. So I think anything that we can do is, you know, Mike and I were just saying before offline, you know, we've, we're a small studio. We're pretty new to this uh, industry. So you know, we're sort of in a position where if we can do something to help support that, whether it be financial services or some other support, we think that that's, that's a good thing, right? Because it's, uh, you know, it's pretty full on what's been going on. So anything we can do to help is important. So, yeah. And you guys are based in Melbourne. Can you give us a bit of perspective of what it's actually like uh, living through these days of smoke and, and impact of, of these fires and, and trying to get on with your day job of making games in Australia? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, we got to pretty easy uh we're about 5k out of the cbd it sucks because um the air quality is not great you can't see that far um i've got a, a newborn baby so we keep her inside all the time but i mean we can't really complain like it's it, i think it's kind of a good thing because for the first time it's you're actually seeing the results of of the fire season it like literally every day when it should be super sunny it's just super overcast everyone's coughing it's got we got fog in the studio it's like a 10 meter high roof and and it's like a haze at the top and um so yeah yeah look it's yeah i I think it's uh it's it's full on to see the impacts especially in a city um but yeah i mean the the impact to us i mean we get up and come to work every day we've got it pretty good there's some uh you know there's a lot of firefighters and a lot of people out there impacted you know lives and homes their their livelihood the work so uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see what's been happening, but it's it's yeah, it's pretty full on, and, and we've got it pretty good, I'd say. Mm. And I think I, I guess that's sort of the the sentiment is that uh, from a lot of people in the indie game development scene is that you know they don't aren't maybe directly impacted by these fires, but they can sort of feel the effects of them, and they have been trying to 
making an effort to contribute towards the communities and also the volunteers who have been helping to, to fight these fires and protect these communities. And, you know, they've, uh, it was sort of launched uh, by Morgan Jaffet, who was uh, Defiant Development um, based in Brisbane. Um, and they were kind of offering things like, uh, you know, special editions of uh, games like Hand of Fate, which is what Defiant made, and also like a, a dedicated things. And it's just sort of like this little moment of, um, you know, of, little, of solidarity or help in, in a way to kind of to, to do that conversation. I, I think one of the interesting things about this particular uh, issue is that I think it's very front of mind uh, an issue for Australians, but I think if you're looking at it from an external perspective, you probably don't 100% realise um, the, the, the sort of situation on the ground. And um, as you said, we're not on the ground. We don't really know exactly what it's like for those people, but we are seeing the images of it. And something like this does make you feel, at least in my own personal perspective, you feel a bit helpless and you want to try and do as much as you personally can to try and help out with people who, who have lost a lot. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I think m one perspective on it is kind of like any news is good news. And if we've got an opinion that's got a lot of interest now, a video, um, you know, it's just puts a spotlight on the cause. We wouldn't have known, we didn't actually know that the um, that this kind of effort was actually happening. And so now we can kind of look into it tonight and go, cool, can we be a part of it? So that's good that's come out of it. And it, it, I guess it makes us think, cool, game dev, what is our carbon footprint? Like um, how can we make it better? Um, yeah, I yeah, I, I mean, we spoke internally about trying to, you know, donate uh, just some money basically to the cause, which is something we've been talking to the publisher about trying to work out with them about how we can sort of go about doing that, um, you know, for all the, the right reasons, I suppose. And, and this is maybe one other, other way to help. But again, I suppose the fact that we're having the conversations and people are talking about it, then it, it, it's probably a good thing that we're, we're at least discussing it and it's getting some coverage. So. <clears throat> Thanks for watching Pixel Sift. If you're just joining us now, we're talking to Michael Wentworth Bell and Nick Acherito about the Game Dev for Fireys hashtag that has been trending lately and also the surrounding controversy. One thing that I find quite quite interesting and like really happy about that it was started by game devs, but other people are, are jumping on board too. I've seen some few tweets of people saying, Hey, look, I have this special edition signed game with all these badges that I bought a, wh a while ago, I'll put it up for auction as well. And I think it's great that it's bringing in us, the like we might not have a lot of experience in game dev, but it's bringing in the community as well, which I find really, really good. I agree. And it's, it's not just game dev, I suppose. We've seen it just a trend on you know, social media and a variety of platforms and the news alike with just a lot of local businesses and small businesses around the country that are just either offering some services if they can or some support or some money, whatever they can afford to do, uh, time, et cetera, to kind of just help out. And it's that sort of community and banding together, which I think is is the positive point of all of this, that people are trying to help where, where they can if they're not actually impacted um, that greatly. So, I think, like you said, um, you know, the, the fact that everyone can get involved um, makes you feel like, oh, I could actually do something about it. Like, you know, the, I could always – I could donate money to – a whole bunch of different things or I could join this as well and, you know, put something up for auction uh, no matter who I am and if it hopefully can help. Um, Mariam uh, has put out a sort of statement of responding to some of the criticism that was received. Um, you can head over to Mariam's Twitter, uh, which we'll link in the show notes of this particular episode. Um, but there's a, quite a good tweet, I think, which kind of wraps up everything really nicely. Um, is uh, McCaws Lander, so M-C-C-A-U-S Lander, um, says, if we can take anything away from this particular 
bad take is that Aussie game devs show super solidarity to each other um, and they are really good at coming together at this time of the year. So we'll have a link to that particular one as well. Um, right now, though, I think we might talk a little bit about Aspire One VR after this. Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. So we're joined by Michael Wentworth-Bell and Nick Acherito from Digital Load in Melbourne, and they're here to talk about their game, Aspire One VR Operative. So for those who may not know, what is Aspire One VR Operative? Um, our elevator pitch that we spent uh, 15 months, you know, trying on to a lot of people is basically Metal Gear Solid 2 uh, meets GoldenEye 007 uh, in VR. So um, you, you work for the IFA, uh, Intelligence Force of Australia. You're a drone operator of the future. You use your, you know, VR hardware to remote control the Aspire Model 1 robot, deploying it on operations to, you know, infiltrate bases, um, complete mission objectives, and live out your James Bond fantasies in VR. Um, that sounds like a, a really good combination because Metal Gear Solid 2 is, like, probably one of the best ones to pick, I think, out of out of the recent... Uh, uh, series of games that have come out, especially in that terms of like infiltrating spy sort of in a base sort of uh, sort of feel. Um, but I'm curious about sort of controlling a robot. Um, why did you kind of decide to have like a robotic character as, as the character that you control? Well, we, we kind of, um, the, one of the biggest reasons we got a publishing contract in the end for a VR title was we, at our prototype stage, we had a movement system in VR that would minimize VR sickness. So you'd be able to have free movement with a thumbstick-style um, console shooter that you imagine, but you wouldn't want to puke all the time. And the way we did that was by making a story element. So we said, you're, you're standing in this holodeck room. It's your Aspire control theater. Every t- and your, every movement you do, the Aspire does 2,000 kilometers away. Um, if you decide to make it do artificial movement, like uh, thumbstick movement or make it drop off a building, strafe backwards downstairs, um, Aspire's view shrinks down to the size of a floating iPad in front of your head and in your peripheral vision you see the control theater room that you're standing in 2,000 kilometers away and as soon as you stop doing artificial movement it um, zooms back in and you have full vision again and so um, it tricks the brain into thinking oh, I'm just watching um, this happen on a screen I'm not actually falling 10 meters down to drop on a guard so I'm not going to want to throw up yeah, and it also, I think the whole, the robot concept helps uh, sort of forgive some of the limitations with VR. So, you know, yeah. if you pick up a guard's body in VR, you don't really get that same sort of haptic or, or resistance force feedback on your hand. There's no weight there. It's just the weight of the controllers. But if you're controlling a, you know, one ton kilogram uh, humanoid robot, then it could feasibly <laughs> pick it up, you know, like it's a rag doll and throw it around. And, you know, it's kind of almost a, a, an excuse or some forgiveness for the, uh, for the platform limitations. And some or all headsets have tracking errors where sometimes it loses tracking of your hands. It's just the Aspire link. It's gone down a bit. <laughs> Interference. Um, it sounds like uh, you guys had a lot of fun inventing these little tricks uh, to get around the hardware limitations of VR. Because I know a lot of VR games, you have that sort of teleport jumpy sort of thing, but it sounds like using the 
the pull-out sort of view was a way to kind of get around some of that. Yeah, I think it's look. It's an interesting thing, and it's something that's probably still being solved a lot in the industry with the, the you know the different hardware and people are still trying various things. And these days, you know, especially people that play VR a lot want full freedom of movement. They want you know locomotion system that just is free move and gives them full flexibility. Um, but I suppose yeah, originally and, and probably yeah, as Mike said, the reason that we were able to be successful in getting a publishing deal was that we were trying to create a system, and it's not a perfect system, but we've definitely seen it be successful for some people that you know, would typically get motion sickness, be able to play the game and feel fine. So we certainly wanted to try and, and appeal to a, you know, broader consumer market because there's enough barrier of entries just getting into VR. So the last thing you want to do is then feel sick having the experience. So we were trying to open it up to as many people as possible. And also it's a, it's a stealth game, an action game too, but you, if you're sneaking up behind guards and they spot you, it's a bit of a cop out to go, oh, yep, boom, I'm going to teleport you know, five meters away and the guards go, where'd you go? So, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so what was the, the biggest challenge that you faced while making this game? Because it sounds like there's a lot of little technical things in there when you were explaining with the emotion sickness what you did for that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. We did an interview with you guys at PAX, I think it was, and Mike's quoted and it's written up on our whiteboard that, like, the development process was like a fun nightmare. So that's uh, <laughs> Up there, and it kind of it's it's very true though it, it was. I think that the biggest challenge as a studio was the uh, the Oculus Quest. So when our game launched, uh, we launched it on yeah a variety of platforms. So it came out on PC VR, PSVR, but also the Oculus Quest. Uh, and you know this mobile device is an Android device. Um, you know running a system on a chip. You know all in one sort of headset. So trying to get a game that was built for you know PC VR running on a you know on a, a GPU and trying to get that to run on a, uh, you know, an Android Fancy device. Phone. Yeah, it exactly. was, uh, was extremely challenging. So many, many hours and, and lots of, I suppose, work in, in, you know, refactoring, uh, code and blueprints to, uh, to get them to run, you know, on that device, as well as uh, a, a lot of optimizations for frame rate and things like that, given the, uh, the hardware limitations. And I think the other side of it was from the design, uh, we had to support all the VR headsets. So you've got, uh, on our desk, we've all got five or six different controllers and it's got to be a fun game. One controller's got like two buttons. This one's got like 16 and finger tracking and stuff. And so uh, we have to make mechanics and features that are going to work on both and not annoy people. And that's mm -hmm. that was, I don't think we did the, the best job at it, but it, that was definitely the one of the toughest things. Yeah. Now you said there that we did we did speak to you back at PAX in October last year. Did you have to change many things from when we last spoke to you to when you released in November? Uh, you know, the the honest truth is we were we were developing the game right up until the day of release, pretty much. There, you know, so still are. and we still are. You know, I think it's interesting because you know I'm I'm not actually from the games industry previously, but I, I you know in coming on board, it's you know. I used to think that oh well, the game gets finished and then it gets released and then uh, and then that's it. But you know, these days it's a, it's a kind of it's a lot more fluid than that and it's a bit of a moving target. So you know, you think you're done, you get it out there, but then you get feedback and people tell you what's what's wrong with it and other things that you didn't find or you didn't catch. And so you know, we're lucky enough to be in an age where we've got the ability to address those and, and release patches and updates. So it, it certainly hasn't stopped. We're still working on the game, uh, you know, every day. So. And the packs was sweet because we got to see like hundreds of people play it and got and the whole team for the first time got to see it we, we were lucky us too we got to go to e3 and gamescom um and and see people play it 
uh, there, but it, they'll press and and we would convey that to the team. But for the for the level designer and and for the programmers to see people play it and go, oh, this is not easy. It's like cool. Like they, we all like we've got to get we got to fix this. I was sorry, I was there and I saw Sarah playing it and she was just having the time of her life just going off on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sarah was just great. To- she, had a, she had a good time. I think. She <laughs> talked about it a lot afterwards. She's like, we've got to get a Spire one, yeah. get the guys and the team behind that on to have a talk about it. Um, if you're watching us live on Twitch, uh, thank you for watching Pixel Sift. Um, we're talking to Michael Wentworth-Bell and Nick Acherito about their game, Aspire One VR Operative. Now, I wanted to ask you, the game's been out for a few months, and you mentioned that you've got, like, a number of different platforms. How has that been received on those different platforms? Can you tell us how, the, you know, what it's, what it's like bringing it out for multiple different devices? It was, yeah, fun nightmare. <laughs> like, it, it, was, it was, I think, part of um, the publishing process was like we have to try and make a game that's going to have the best chance of success so we tried to release it on all vr platforms and the team size about nine people so we i think we 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 executed really well on the oculus platforms it's the game's got four stars out of five on them um selling quite well and then on psvr it hasn't done very well um just due to the differences in the um in the game that during the porting process that just didn't go, uh, that players aren't happy with. And on Steam, it's it's done quite poorly and it's just been an interesting experience for us where it's kind of had a series of negative reviews and the same game on the Oculus Store for PC sells quite well, 4 out of 5. On the Steam Store, it's um, not selling very well at the moment. So that our kind of focus at the moment is we're reading all the Steam reviews and trying our best to um, turn, the, turn the game around and, and get – and um, but at the same time, not compromise too much on what we wanted. How does that feel? I mean, I'm um, too personally attached to the game, so I, I don't go on Twitter and see what's trending. But I do go, I do go on Twitter and just search Aspire One and see what people are saying and stuff. And so it's it feels good to see the game on PSVR go from like a half star review to now it's two and a half, approaching three, like starting to fill up the stars. And you can and see the gamers um, start to recommend it to friends on on that platform. It's like sweet. Yeah. Uh, and on the it's great because it's kind of like we started got we finally have fans, and so we've got some people that absolutely love it, and some people absolutely hate it. And they're uh, it's the same game as different devices, different headsets, and different quality of the game. It's it we're just trying to bring it all up to the same level. Yeah, it's gr- like it's great. I mean, it's an amazing experience, but it is hard not to get emotionally attached. You know, you read a bad review and then it's like, you know, the whole world's going to end and it's like it's easy to get into the downward spiral of going down the uh, the subreddit black hole, which I keep telling Michael to stop doing. But <laughs> but it's hard not to because, you know, you do get attached and you have spent a lot of time and especially for Mike who, who sort of started this whole thing, uh, you know, you spend several years of your life just working on something and pushing it there and to, to take it from concept all the way through to market and then have somebody not like it is just kind of like it's like death by a thousand cuts. So it's uh but you know that's part of the process right not everybody's going to love what you, you're doing and often the people that are more vocal about it are the ones that you know have a problem with it but but the, the truth is it's you know the reviews that we've got largely have been really positive and uh you know we got upload vr and uh, you know a few other guys had had some great reviews of the game when it first came out so you know and that's a really positive feeling that you know you know you've put all this blood sweat and tears into something and and have people enjoy it and and enjoy playing it and 
you know, as Mike said before, going to trade shows and watching public play it and, and laugh and smile, it's, uh, it's, it's a great feeling. Especially when Sarah played it because it was kind of like, wow, I, she hadn't played the game before, but she, I, I was like, we got to get her to stream it or something because she just made <laughs> it look cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she was we'll having a lot of fun, sure like, kneeling down yeah. and trying to shoot the, the people up above. It was, it was so much fun watching her have a go at it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think though, that's the thing with VR is that when people get into it and get fully immersed and make, you know, total use of their, their movements and their body and, and, you know, it's it's not only a great experience, it's great fun to watch as a spectator. So, yeah. Now, Aspire One VR Operative has also been put down to be archived by the National Film and Sound Archive. The first time video games have ever been archived. What was it like when you found out that your game was chosen? Sick. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was really, <laughs> look, it was really bizarre. We got a, a sort of a random email out of nowhere from our contacts page and weren't really sure, you know, we, I think first we th- always think everything's a scam, a scam, right? We thought, oh, this is a scam, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> the, the lady that emailed us, she went, we went on a LinkedIn, as you do, and she had like one connection. I'm like, it's, she set this up yesterday. Yeah. She's just going to get our password. Yeah. <laughs> Mike thinks everybody's scamming him as well, but. But look, the thing, yeah, we, we weren't sure what was going on. And then we got in touch with them and we had a video call and it was all legitimate. They were, you know, obviously they do film and TV typically, but they were getting into video games, which we thought was awesome uh, in itself. And then when they said they wanted to do a VR game, we thought, well, that's extra awesome. But then when they said they wanted to use ours, we were just like, sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's, look, they got an interesting challenge because obviously a lot of things need to update frequently you know you can't just take your game cartridge and your old tv and and never and put it aside like there's things where you unplug them from the internet and all of a sudden in a certain amount of days things will stop working if they don't get a connection so we actually had a a, a time last year where um a lot of hardware and software drivers have digital certificates and they're signed and oculus there they forgot they're no no bad to oculus here but someone oculus forgot to renew their digital certificate for the drivers so every rift in the world stopped working and it took them um, like 20 hours to renew it, but then no one could download the newest update because it wouldn't open the driver. So they, you had to manually go to a website to get it. And, and we just thought from that, I was like, wow. So if you try, they're going to archive Aspire for like 70 years. I thought if you just try and open this game in six years, it's probably going to, not not so much the game, but the hardware is probably just going to be like, dude, I'm phoning home, no yeah. one's answering. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an interesting challenge they've got, I suppose, to try and archive it in the first place but um but we were very honored we were wrapped so um wh- what are you going to archive do you know at this stage is there like a definitive version of aspire one or are you just going to give them everything and and let them sort it out they actually gave us a contract and said if we're keen we can archive the source code all the original art assets like pretty much everything um and, and we're probably pretty keen to do that i haven't talked we haven't really spoken about it yeah. um but that way it's like a backup we don't have to worry about Backing yeah. up the software all day. It's, it's going to be hard to not resist the longer because we haven't given them the final version yet. So with every day that goes past, we're like, we'll sneak this in. Can we sneak yeah. this in? Can we, sneak? <laughs> we don't want to give it's them just... the 1.0 version because that's like no one wants to play that. Yeah, yeah. So, so what about this feature? It's like, well, that was yeah, – anyway. <laughs> Sounds like a fun challenge to have. Um, if you if you put on your, uh, I guess, uh, your put your hands on the crystal ball and look into the future of what VR is going to look like – it's come a long way in even a couple of years. Um, what's it going to look like in, in five or ten years' time? 
I think it'll hopefully be less like insular. So at the moment, you put your headset on and you're pretty isolated. There's some sweet VR apps that let you do social um, VR experiences. Even, I think one of the awesomest uses of VR right now is to be present with a family member or friend who's on the other side of the globe and just chill out. You can see how tall they are. You can have a virtual hug. Sounds lame, but you can even just watch YouTube or something. It's very awesome and and you can just watch you know the footy if you if that's your thing and um i think the future of vr if it's four years or um even sooner will hopefully be more kind of um experiences that you can do as groups and and um have fun because i guess the end game is kind of like glasses that are all in one they're ar glasses they turn vr if that's what you want and it'll basically augment the the world you're you're in so it's yeah, it's yeah. interesting to think, I suppose, you know, I think that's the, yeah, that's probably the end game where it's like, you know, a socially acceptable pair of glasses that can also do a lot of other cool stuff. So I, I think it's probably heading there as hardware gets better. But, you know, this, I mean, for us, we see this, the Oculus Quest, like all in one device, you can put this on, there's a whole store full of content that you can just play for hours you can walk forever you can just walk around the block yeah inside out tracking and it's just you know for us that was kind of like in my opinion anyway that the first real consumer vr headset where the barrier for entry is like it's okay it's 650 dollars for a headset so it's not cheap but it's comparable to a, a console price and you can just buy it put it on take it anywhere and play it i mean that's pretty impressive so to have that now compared to where i think vr was is is pretty sweet and and i think that's and already the chip in this is out, out of date. So once they start, you know, putting some newer tech in there, it's uh, it, it's going to be pretty cool. There's a dark future for VR where it just goes straight to the optic nerve <laughs> and you live in a cube and you look through your cube and you've got your virtual friends and family, um, significant others, and you never leave the house. That's, that's, that's very, very ghost in the shell. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I can see it happening big time. You're sorry you asked us now, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Now, just as end off, you've spent quite a long time working on this game and other sort of VR and immersive media, but what's the biggest lesson you've learned over this time? Oh. I guess personally it's um, don't overpromise and under-deliver in every sense of the word. So don't say, I'll do that today or don't don't try and put your scope really high. Um, like we, it was too much ambition. That's something that we learnt and could have focused more uh, I guess it's, that's one thing that we could apply. I could apply to like every part of game dev and life management. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, geez, there's so many lessons. I suppose, you know, one of the things, you know, coming from a different industry was that just, you know, everything takes longer than expected in the creative process. And it's just because when is done sort of done. And so, it's very easy for especially external parties, but even ourselves to want to put timelines on certain things. And it's just, they're not always that easy to deliver because there's not necessarily a, an end set of an end target. It's a, it's a challenging thing, you know, creative work. So uh, I suppose, you know, time management is probably something that, you know, we've learned a lot about over the, uh, the last 12 months. So as a small studio, so. Uh, well, it's even more accessible than it's ever been. If you want to check out uh, Aspire One VR Operative, uh, you can go to the website, which is aspireone.com. Check them out on Twitter, Aspire VR, uh, available on Steam and Oculus and everywhere, PlayStation. If you can put it on your face and look into it, that's where it is. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Michael and Nick, and telling us all about Aspire One VR Operative. I It looks so cool, and I really wish that I played it at PAX now. <laughs> <laughs> if Yeah, we'll send you a copy, and if you guys are around Melbourne, come say hi, and we'll look out for you at um, every trade show there is. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all about t- all about. Uh, t- what we have time for today. Thank you for watching and listening to episode 138 of Pixel Sift. This episode has been hosted by myself and Gianni. Thank you for joining me tonight, Gianni. Always a pleasure. And then Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Island, myself, Mitch Lowe, Daniel Ang, and Gianni Di Giovanni is also our executive producer. Now, we wouldn't have been able to make 138 episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. So you can go and check them out and tell them that we sent you. If you're keen to learn out more about a great creative degree, you can head on over to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts and search through there and see all the amazing things that they have on offer. That was murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And then as always, we'll be sticking links to topics we talked about in the show notes on our website. That's www.pixelsift.com.au. And you can come join us on Discord. Um, we'd love to have you there. Uh, you can get to that by going to pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord, where you can share your creative work, things you're working on, maybe art or music or whatever. You can talk about topics that we've uh, talked about on the show, uh, play some games with people or, or anything else. So that's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you like what we do, can I ask you a favor? We need your help to tell a friend. So go and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, I like Pixel Sift. I think you might like it too. Uh, go and subscribe. Your brothers, your sisters, your aunts, your uncles, anyone on the street, Pixel Sift, get it in their phones um, because getting into podcasts can be tricky. Um, but once you start, we know you're going to love it. And our next episode will be on the 30th of January. And if you join us this time next week on the 23rd, we'll, it will be Pixel Sift Plays and we'll be playing one of the many indie games that feature on our show. So that's all for this week. Thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.